Before this week's episode, I want to let you know we are hosting a remote adventure. What is the remote adventure? Well, I'm bringing together some educators in the game-based learning and gamification space to talk about some ways we can leverage online tools for game-based learning and gamification. I'm also going to be releasing some free resources. Those will be free for a limited time. So if you're interested in learning more about this, go to boardgamingwitheducation.com backslash remote dash adventure. All right, let's get to the show. Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Stats. Welcome to another episode of Board Gaming with Education. We really hope you and your loved ones are staying healthy and safe during this time. We are going to continue with our regularly scheduled episodes So expect an episode from us every Monday. And this week's episode, we have Will Hansen on the show for an interview today. He is a PhD student in biophysics, and he also created a game called Fano. He talks about some of the educational components he included in his game, as well as why games are important to his learning and his education. So be sure to listen in. If you have any questions Remember, you can always reach me, podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. If you have the time, please consider leaving a review. If this is your first time listening to the show, check out the episode. If you like it, leave a review. If you've been around for a while, please help us by leaving a review. It will help with our discoverability and podcasting and others will find our show as well. So let's get into the interview. Welcome to Board Game with Education. We have another awesome interview episode, and today we have Will Hansen. He is the designer of a card game called Fano, and he is currently doing his PhD studies in biophysics, and we'll talk a little bit about that topic today on the episode. Will, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Hey, Dustin. Thanks for inviting me onto the show. Uh, Yep, my name is Will, and I'm currently working on a new project called Fano. It's a combat card game that's kind of a fusion between Magic the Gathering and abstract strategy like uh, chess. Awesome. And I'm super excited to learn more about Fano today. So the you reached out to me or you reached you reached out to me through a mutual friend, which is really cool. And I noticed you designed Fano through or is inspired through other trading card games. And I was reading on your blog that you are a collector of playing cards. Yes. Yes, I am. Been, I've been collecting playing cards now for, I want to say, a couple of years now. About a year, year and a half. And it all started actually with one deck. My girlfriend last year bought me my, my first personal deck. And that deck was skinned with Final Fantasy IX characters on it. And it's a game that we shared together uh, that I, I introduced her to. From there, I, I exploded onto, I think now I'm up to my 35th deck. That was that was my next question. How many how many decks do you have? Do you have a? I guess I don't know if I want to ask your favorite, but what is one that you maybe use more than others? Uh, at this point, yeah, it's hard to say. I, I don't actually have a favorite. I do really like them all, but I I get excited about new ones that I back on Kickstarter, and I just backed this one recently called uh, Ascension, and it's kind of got a, a Game of Thrones esque kind of feel to it. You have 
one version of them from the Lannisters and another version of them from what's that group in the north? Have you watched Game of Thrones? Oh man, no. <laughs> <laughs> the wolves. <laughs> Dire wolves. Alright, different deck. My favorite deck. <laughs> You know, I, I'm, I'm really nostalgic about that Final Fantasy IX theme deck. Uh, it really holds a lot of weight for me. It's kind of, um, it's part of my relationship with my girlfriend. It's the reason that Fano is a game and, and it's the reason I'm, I'm now starting this, this endeavor in collecting cards. Awesome. I love Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy VII is my favorite game of all time and I'm waiting for them to, to release the updated version of it. Oh man, me too. Final Fantasy VII, I think, is probably my favorite as well, followed by Final Fantasy IX and then Eight and all the ones in the '90s. Honestly, yeah, it's so good. When I was growing up, we would play. I had two neighbor friends, and I would play the game for a half an hour or until like you find a save point because you had to find save points then. And then my other friend will play for a half an hour until they find a save point, and then the other friend. So what happened at the beginning of the game? We'd be like on very similar paths. But as the game kind of grew and evolved, you would see us take different routes within the game. So it was really, really fun to watch all of us play together. Oh, yeah. I think one of the really cool things about playing with friends, especially on a game that's story-based, is you share something with them, like just like reading a story or watching a movie, but you share something really intimate with your friends, something that other people might not have also experienced as well. And it's this sort of epic story that brings you all together as friends. Right. Yeah. Sephiroth, if anyone, I don't want to <laughs> spoil it for anyone, <laughs> but we'll just say that word. <laughs> so one of the first questions we ask our guests about games and education when they're on the show is, can you tell us about a time that you were on the receiving end of learning something through games? Yeah, actually, if we go back to role-playing games for a minute, role-playing games for me growing up were probably the biggest genre of video game that I I played. And I think the one thing that I remember, there's actually two that I remember, but one of the first things I remember is that role-playing games introduced me to all new types of words. Like I learned words like allocate and augment and synthesize. And these are words that I was learning at the age of, I don't know, seven or eight. And I, I didn't realize then that I would be using them later on in the future. So I thought that was really cool. And another time that gaming has really helped me and is now shaping my future, I played a game also in the Final Fantasy line called Final Fantasy XI. It was a massive multiplayer online role-playing game. You play with lots of people online and you form groups and you beat monsters together. And the interesting thing about that game was that it had its own economy and you can put up items for auction on an auction house and you would assign some value to the item that you wanted, but it was a silent value. So the, uh, the bidders didn't know what value you, you prized it at. So if you had, going back to, I guess, an early economics class, the supply and demand, it's all about supply and demand. So uh, an item that might be selling really fast and pretty cheaply, somebody might put up on auction at a much lower price to sell their item much faster. Whereas an item that's moving very slowly, you might put it at exactly the money amount because if it's moving too slowly, somebody might actually try and attempt to buy it at the, at the lower value. You might lose value on it. So this, this drove the economy in Final Fantasy XI, which also now translates for me as um, I, I use it actually for trading, day trading in cryptocurrency. Really cool. I, I love RPG games. I mean, I mentioned Final Fantasy VII and I love your kind of analogy or anecdote, I guess, when you described coming across a word in the game and learning new words. 
And I always thought it was super cool when I would learn a word in the video game and then in the real world, in class or something, it's a vocabulary word. Like, oh, I know that game from Final Fantasy VII. So you are studying your degree in biophysics and what do your days kind of look like? Or are there any times that games or using games overlap with your studies? So right now I'm, I'm kind of, I guess I'm the, like a Clark Kent at the moment with, with my work. I, in the morning I, I do protein design and then in the evening I moonlight as a game designer and I go around to different meetup groups and play games and share my game with others and play test new games. But I would say that there's still a lot of overlap between what I do and in my workplace, especially gaming in general, board gaming in general is, is a great team building activity. And my group here, my lab, actually gets together every Thursday night to play Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, it's a great t- team building experience for us. And we really build our connections that way. That's, that's super awesome. I like that you are playing a role playing game with your lab group, I guess, or lab uh, colleagues. What kind of culture or experience or collaboration do you think that brings to your research or your work? So with Dungeons and Dragons or, or with any, any board game experience, I think that solving problems together in a cooperative setting or a cooperative game, whether it's Pandemic or some other game, I think that that translates also to how we interact with each other, both at work and, and in what we do. A lot of my work uh, with protein design is coding. And a lot of it also is kind of like playing a video game in a way. There's actually a uh, really cool game out there, a video game called Fold It. And you can use Fold It or play Fold It and bring in a protein that's unfolded. And you basically increase your score by shaking and wiggling the protein into its proper kind of folded shape. And what you're doing actually in the video game is how proteins fold in real life. And it's kind of what we do here actually in the lab with their computers on a daily basis. So video games, strategy, I guess, working together as well. It's all these things are constantly interrelated. Yeah, that's super awesome. I know one thing that we were talking about and communicating about through email is you had mentioned something called the flow state. And you also mentioned how that was the, I guess, inspiration or design philosophy that you followed for Fano. Can you help us maybe understand what is flow state for those who are not familiar with that? So flow is it's, it's kind of a state of mind where you get really involved in a task and in the middle of this task, you lose track of you know your sense of time, your sense of spatial awareness, and it's positive reinforced by the actions that you perform performing that task. And I constantly am in flow while I'm at work. So if I'm designing or if I'm coding, I'll start writing. And after something starts working, I get this positive reinforcement to continue to write more and test new things, which gives me more reinforcement to continue to do it again and again. Uh, And this works its way into everything I do, whether it's game design or web development or working on on a video. And this is something that's common for a lot of people. I think a lot of it stems from playing video games at an early age. I think that a lot of people, a lot of young people benefit quite, quite a lot from engaging with flow when they start playing a game. As you're achieving something in a game, whether you're collecting something or you're building inter- some, some new interaction with somebody, or even if it's like Call of Duty, 
and you just did something pretty amazing. You get this kind of elation that gives you positive reinforcement to continue playing that game, continue unlocking new achievements, and continue to play. And, and at some point, you lose all track of time, and you realize five, six hours have gone by. I've played the same game. I've sat in the same place. But um, this this can totally be directed towards things in your career, uh, working in, in school, studying, etc. If you just take all of the things that you do and imagine them like gamification, imagine them as achievements that you're unlocking and give positive reinforcement every time that you do something new in life or achieve something new in, in something that you're doing. Right. I think that's a solid, really good definition of what flow is and how we can experience it in different regards. I know myself, I've sat down in front of my TV playing like PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3, and yes, then look up at the clock and it's five, six hours later. So do you have a particular game or a specific game that you've played recently where you've experienced flow or one that you love to go to to have that feeling? I actually, I still play a lot of role-playing games. And for me, flow uh, happens in almost every video game I play. It it happened so often when I was young that I feel like it's it's much easier to tap into flow now, whether it's at work or watching a movie. So I, I enter flow actually pretty much in almost everything that I do. It's a little frustrating for my girlfriend, actually, while we're watching a movie and uh, she wants my attention, but my attention, even if it's something, some terrible movie, I'll, I'll be completely locked in and lose all sense of myself or my surroundings. But uh, a current game that I'm playing right now is a very cute game. I just finished it actually by a very special game designer named Toby Fox. The game's called Undertale. I don't know if you've heard of it. I don't think so. I, all I can say is it sounds familiar. <laughs> it's this really cute game. That, it's an RPG, and it's, it's kind of this retro look on an RPG where the interactions that you take during the game affect everything else oh, later on in the game. That's why it's not familiar. Someone that was on our PAX Unplugged episode talked about this game. Right. Oh, really? It affects, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, the music in it is, is just phenomenal. One of the other things that, for me, makes a game. And um, yeah, it's just been a wonderful experience. I guess myself and anyone else listening is going to have to check this game out now. That's the second time it's been mentioned in a couple of weeks. Awesome. So I think it's really interesting. You mentioned you, you obtain flow a lot or in almost anything that you put yourself in or you engage in. I wonder, is that something that you've trained yourself or is that something that or we can do? to set up like an experience or in I guess our area so we can obtain flow? That's a good question. I haven't looked into any research for flow. Or even you specifically, is there anything that you kind of do when you go play a game? Is there anything you make sure is ready for you when you're playing a game? You know, now now flow is so easy for me to achieve that I don't actually have to set anything up or do anything in a, in, in a way. I, I could enter flow even in a crowded area as long as I'm fixated on the task at hand uh, or, or as, as long as I get somewhat interested in the task at hand. But it really did stem from lots of video game play in my early life and getting kind of that those long hours in a video game, you know, to kind of stay in flow state for long periods of time. And I think that I hate to say that I'm an advocate for having kids play video games or having kids, you know, engage in, in flow in any way that they can. But this really is, is something that I advocate is that if they can, if they can spend even an hour 
two hours in flow state, even a half hour in flow state, and then repeatedly do this on a, on a daily basis or weekly basis, it can train the mind to kind of enter this readily, no matter what the system is. And maybe there might be more incentives for things that aren't as fun for at a young age, but eventually you get to a point where you can find something fun in everything, especially if you think of things as you're gaining achievements in, in life. Right. I think it's, it's super interesting. Also the different because I'm thinking from myself and my perspective of when I obtain flow and it seems like now that I'm older and it probably has to do with the fact that I don't play very many video games anymore. But for me to obtain flow playing a video game is a lot more difficult than a board game, for example, or even my work. I notice like if I sit down and I start maybe designing or updating my website or setting up social media posts or editing the podcast, anything like this, it's very easy for me to almost immediately get into a flow state where I've noticed recently because I picked up the new Call of Duty, I have to get in my bing bag at, in my house. I have to have a headphones, my headphones on. I have to, you know, make sure my controller's fully charged and I have to know that I'm not going to have any interruptions in the next like hour or so, or I won't, I won't sit down and play and I won't, even when I do sometimes sit down and play, if some of those things get in the way, I don't get into a flow state. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with the idea that you can get flow in, in almost anything. And I think to your point earlier about where you found flow, with, whether it's board games or getting involved with teaching, but you don't seem to, to get flow with video games, I think it's important to, to remain or, or to keep entering flow for things that activate it. So for you, it continually playing board games or, or working, as long as you keep engaging in things that activate flow, you can keep entering it. And this might also translate to other areas of interest. Or if you're not interested, if there's some way to trigger interest, uh, you might be able to more readily enter flow in that area as well. Right. And I think what really interests me about flow state is as a teacher or a lot of our listeners are educators or even teachers too, or just interested in how games and education overlap. But I wonder how, as a teacher, I can leverage flow state in games in my classroom. And I know that I can do it through designing game-based learning activities, but I wonder if there's an opportunity to do it in some other way. Oh, that's something to, to ponder about for sure. Yeah, I think if there's any incentive for, say, in a classroom to get students interested in something or hold their attention in something for even 45 minutes, an hour in, in something that really is giving them positive reinforcement to just keep revisiting that and then finding different ways to reskin that, that experience so that they can keep activating flow, but also achieve the things that they're trying to achieve in class. Right. I think you have something there is reskinning that experience or maybe that content that you're trying to teach and giving it to your students in a way that is easily or flow state is easily obtained. Yeah. It actually brings back, I, I noticed that you guys are working on uh, world XP and I think that that system could work really well for getting kids engaged in an activity specifically related to learning and then utilizing this as an engine to kind of drive forward into new areas of interest. 
as long as they're achieving something in Worlds XP, they'll feel they might be able to enter flow state. And if they do enter flow state, they can at least apply it towards new learning. Yeah, definitely. And gamification is one one way that I think flow state or the learning experience can be leveraged to enter flow state. I never considered that with Worlds XP because I think it's possible if there are a specific lesson plan designed around the content and Worlds XP is used as the thematic, I guess, overarching element of that lesson plan. It might might work really well. So we're talking about flow state and the reason you created Fano, or maybe it was your philosophy for when you were designing Fano, what is Fano exactly? What kind of game is it? So Fano is an abstract strategy combat card game. It's kind of like a combination of Magic the Gathering and chess. And when I originally designed it, I had received that deck of cards that you brought up earlier on in the podcast, that uh, Final Fantasy IX deck of cards. And uh, my girlfriend and I play a lot of card games together and a lot of dice games. And I wanted to create a game actually for her that we could play every morning and in this kind of like competitive two-player game that we could use with a with their new deck of cards so i sat down on my bed spent a couple of hours on trying to design this game and i brought in different elements from things that i i've actually experienced in life one really interesting element that kind of birthed fano is the idea of this fano plane it's a mnemonic that's used in a really obscure form of mathematics called octonians and i actually work with the math kind of below that one called the quaternions. And I use that math in order to kind of rotate and translate uh, three-dimensional bodies in space. A lot of people that make uh, video games also use quaternion mathematics. But uh, the octonions are kind of that one step beyond. I think it's really awesome that the card game has kind of intricate story with a lot of depth to it. Where did that idea come from? So you created the... Fano game out of maybe Final Fantasy IX, but where did the idea for the story and the backstory of the game come from? Uh, so the idea for creating a fantasy background, actually, originally the game was really just supposed to be played with a 52-card French deck. And as time progressed, I as I'm collecting these cards, I started noticing with different card decks that they have this kind of a rich history in card design over even our history from early 1400s on all the way up to up to now and what i wanted to start doing was i started creating nations based on the different suits and i imagined you know this one nation is sort of like clubs and clubs have been the same suit since early 17 1400s but something that's interesting is that the spades for instance used to be swords or sabers and eventually switched to pikes or poles like pole arms and I thought of this nation in the north that originally were a bunch of little villages that were united by one character who happened to wield a pole arm. So this this kind of like there's a lot of lore in in our life that's been now packed into this fantasy fantasy world. So think of it like an Alice in Wonderland for or like an Alice in Wonderland card. Do you know the the card characters in Alice in Wonderland? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's sort of like that, but with like a darker, deeper fantasy theme where I've kind of expanded upon, you know, the the different suits, their different histories, how they came to be. And another one that's interesting is um, 
diamonds originally was coins. And this nation's part of their history was that they were originally once coins and that that nation fell 300 years ago in a previous war and eventually kind of moved their way to become the, the, the nation that is now the diamonds. But they all eventually kind of evolved into their own names. And I created a, um, noun classes for one of the two, two of the nations. I created an entirely new language for the diamonds and it, it just kind of spiraled into this mess of doing way too much with uh, the fantasy lore. So it's really taken on a life of its own. I mean, that sounds super like cool. I, I never knew that about cards that the suits had different, different, I guess, symbols for them. That's really awesome. And then you took those and built a story around it. That's really cool. So before we move into our final segment question, do you have any last words of advice for someone maybe about the topics we've discussed, like protein building or flow state, or maybe about designing a game and coming up with an idea for uh, the story behind a game too? If I have one major piece of advice, it would be to try to find ways to integrate the interests in your life. As you go about your life, whether you have your career, you have, you know, gaming, or you have something else that you're really interested in, try to take those things, learn from, from them and, and find out how they can kind of interrelate and help each other to enrich each one. Yeah, that's definitely some awesome words of advice to live by. Definitely something I try to try to live by as well. Doing what I love. One of the main reasons I'm doing this podcast too. So one thing we're going to try is this is because I sent you this final segment idea before I had switched to a different final segment. So what I'm going to do is ask our listeners, let me know which final segment question or I guess final segment you prefer, whether it's the old version, which we'll start with first or the new version, which we'll do second. And Hopefully I'll get some feedback and based on which one most people prefer or what I receive, what kind of feedback I receive for each of them, we'll go on with that. So you're going to be our guinea pig, I guess, for this episode. Awesome. Let's do it. So the first one, if you are stuck on a deserted island... What three board games would you bring? Honestly, I, I would just bring a deck of cards, a single deck of cards, because in a deck of cards, you have hundreds, hundreds of different games. And you would probably bring your Final Fantasy IX <laughs> deck of cards? <laughs> yeah, I guess Final Fantasy IX uh, <laughs> it would have to be. I, you know, I would, I would hate to get them wet, so. <laughs> just a vanilla style deck of cards. Yeah, vanilla, thing. yeah. Oh, you know, plastic would be perfect, actually. They make plastic oh, cards yeah. now. So. Yeah, I, I played a lot of poker in college, and we always used the plastic cards that are, like, super nice, and you didn't have to worry about them breaking or bending, I guess. Yeah. That or I would I would bring a really big game, like something like Scythe or something like that, that I could deconstruct and make into many different games. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you'll, you'll design games on the island, too. Exactly. All right, so now let's go into the next segment, our final segment number two. And again, if you're listening, let me know which one you prefer. You can email me, podcast at boardgamewitheducation.com or find us on social media too. 
But our second final segment is something we did previously on another episode. And that is a thumbs up, thumbs down lightning round. I will give you a statement and you just tell me thumbs up or thumbs down. You can give me a short reason why you gave it a thumbs up or thumbs down, or you can just say just because. So the first one, I think I know the answer to this after chatting with you. Video games. Thumbs up. Great way to enter flow state. Okay. How about streaming or watching someone play, watching someone stream playing a game? Also thumbs up. I think it's great to interact with your friends and, and play games together. And food while playing board games. Thumbs down. Way too messy. Solitaire games. Uh, thumbs up. I do like solitaire. I created a one-player variant of Fano, which is solitaire-esque. And the last one that I think I might throw in everyone, so if you have some recommendations, unless you give it a thumbs down, that's fine too. Board game podcasts. Thumbs up. Huge thumbs up. I think this experience alone has been really, really wonderful experience. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, awesome. So I think you passed both final segment segments here. All right, well, thank you again for coming on and sharing a little bit about your experience as a PhD student and talking about Flow State and Fano. Before we go, can you let us know something about maybe a project you're working on? Maybe if Fano has some new designs or something coming up that you want to share? and where our listeners can find you. Yep, so I'm, I'm working on Fano right now. One of the cool new things I'm trying to do with Fano is to expand it and enable players that are also blind to play Fano. So I've mapped a lot of the card types to sounds and chords, and this can actually be played out, and I'll be hosting that on my website pretty soon at www.fan-o.com. And I... Eventually, we'll, we'll make a Kickstarter with all of this fantasy, these fantasy characters. I think the Kickstarter is going to hit up in sometime in the spring of this year. Really awesome. So again, Will, thank you for coming on the show. And hopefully, we'll have a chance to meet in person coming up soon. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Dustin. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening in this week. If you liked what you heard, be sure to let us know. You can find us on social media as Board Gaming with Education or BGE Games or email us at podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. If you want to support our podcast, be sure to check out our support page on our website. As always, teach better, learn more, and most importantly, play more. Thank you for listening and until next time.